Pastor Xavier Reese marvels at the wealth in the simple truths of God. Job declares how men labor with all their energy to seek gold, precious metal, stones, and the earth. A beautiful description of mining and just trying to grab all those gems. And then he compares them to the wisdom of God that cannot be found on this earth but it can be found only in the fear of God. If we would work as hard to reach the wisdom of God, we would truly be rich. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Dr. Francis Schaeffer has said that the first argument of the gospel is not, as we often think, that Jesus died for our sins. Nor is it, as we are sometimes told, God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. Dr. Schaeffer says that the first argument of the gospel is, God is there, and He is in control of life. And this is the great lesson of the book of Job. Pastor Xavier concludes our Simple Truths character study of Job by reminding us the sovereignty of God and His wisdom of what He allows. We pick up at the spot we left off last time with Job's friends attempting at comforting him. When we get to chapter 15 to 21, we have the second cycle of Job's friends. Eliphaz is the first up with Job, chapter 15 through 17. We come to the second cycle of Job's friends who, according to Job, are miserable comforters who torment his soul. Verse 1 through 35 of chapter 15, Eliphaz's second discourse. He begins the first eight verses of chapter 15. Eliphaz is more cutting in comparison to his first speech, which was marked by courtesy to an extent. He says Job is a good talker, but his words expose his sin, condemning him. Verse 7 through 13, Eliphaz accuses Job of rejecting the wisdom of the fathers and thinking he was all wise, rebelling against God. Verses 14 through 16, Eliphaz declares the depravity of man, his sinfulness in contrast to God's holiness. Now what they're saying is all true, but it doesn't apply to Job. You understand the problem here? We can be giving all kinds of good biblical information but the application is not wisdom, it's stupidity. It's not just memorizing Scripture. It's knowing and living Scripture. Verses 17 through 35 of chapter 15, Eliphaz pleads that Job listened to him regarding the fate of the wicked, calling him a hypocrite. He uses the testimony of history in verse 17 through 19. The wicked are always in trouble, verse 20 through 35. And he goes through the whole list there to give them all the evidence. When he gets to chapter 16, verse 1 through 22, Job's response now comes to his three friends again. 16, 1 through 5, Job rebukes them for their lack of compassion and calls them miserable comforters and that he could speak as they, but rather he would strengthen them and relieve them. I could speak like you, but you know what I would do? I would comfort you. Verse 6 through 14, Job declares God's dealing with him, delivering him to the ungodly. Then verse 15 through 22, Job's humiliation and affliction is described. He cries out for the earth to witness his innocence in verse 18. He's a man who's going through turmoil, emotional, physical. It's a spiritual attack, by the way. Don't miss that through the whole book. 
The source is spiritual. When you're down physically or emotionally, the spiritual attack is magnified. Because you need to anchor yourself with the Word of God so that your emotions don't dictate your theology. Now, Job's despair is given to us in chapter 17, verse 1 through 16. First five verses, Job cries out of brokenness and exhaustion of all the nonsense he has heard. To add to all his suffering, it's just this constant bombardment of nonsense. Job asks God to vouch for him in verse 3. Then in verse 6 through 9 of chapter 17, Job expresses his confidence that God is behind his suffering, yet he will grow stronger. So he know, And now he gets a little ray of hope, but I'm going to grow stronger. 10 through 16, Job expresses his hopelessness also, for emotions run high and then run low. Chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, Bildad is offended and rebukes Job. In verse 5 through 20, the life of the wicked is expounded again. And then look at verse 21 of chapter 18. What does he do? He applies it to Job. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. <laughs> he gets in Job's face. Chapter 19, verse 1 through 29, Job responds to the three. First six verses, Job rebukes them for their lack of shame since disgracing him. Ten times for God was behind his suffering. Verse 7 through 20, Job declares the extent of his suffering as he has become offensive to all, including his family, his children, despise him, and he is nearly a skeleton clinging to life. Read the poetical description there. It's incredible. Verse 21 through 22, Job cries for pity and compassion from his three friends. Verse 23 and 4, Job cries that his word might be written in a book forever. Oh, if he only knew. <laughs> Every word was being recorded for all generations to read and learn from, having the advantage of chapter 1 and 2. Verses 25 through 7, Job's confidence in the resurrection and judgment is declared. Verse 25, he knew his Redeemer lives, the blood avenger. Leviticus, Deuteronomy speaks about it. He knew he would stand at last on the earth, though through the incarnation. Verse 25 still. Verse 26 and 7, Job knew he would be raised in the resurrection in a glorified body. Verse 26 and 7, after my skin is destroyed, that I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and with my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me, the hope of the resurrection. And so Job warns his friends of their own judgment, verse 28 through 29. He says, I have hope to be raised. What do you guys have hope in? <laughs> now chapter 20 through 21, so far, addresses Job. Verse 1 through 11, so far is in is insulted at Job's reproof and declares that he cannot be silent, declaring that the wicked live short and the hypocrite's uh, life is but a moment. Verses 12 through 19, so far said his destruction is inevitable for his oppression and violence. Job, you're a bad person. You've done all these violent and wicked things. 
Verse 20 through 29, so far says God's judgment will fall upon him suddenly, having no peace due to his self-sufficiency. Job responds to so far in chapter 21. Verse 1 through 8, Job pleads their silence and audience before they continue mocking. Be quiet, let me speak, and after that, mock on. Job points out the prosperity of the wicked and the rejection of God, not knowing they have no control over their prosperity. Verse 17 through 21, Job points out God's dealing with the wicked in severeness. Sometimes God does, and then other times he doesn't. He's sovereign. So he's rebutting their argument from their perspective. Verses 22 through 28, Job tells them that the wicked perish like the righteous on every level of life and situation. You can find them on both sides. Job declares in verses 27 to 34 that their theology about the wicked is faulty and comfortless even though they are prepared for the day of doom and wrath. Their theology is bad. See, sometimes people think because God hasn't done anything, they're pleasing God. They're doing despite to the grace of God and to the patience of God, and they're damning up to themselves wrath against wrath, the book of Romans says, chapter 2, I believe, verse 4. Now we come to the third cycle. Eliphaz's third discourse is more vicious, accusing Job of specific sins. Chapter 22, the first 11 verses, Eliphaz reproves Job for charging God by declaring his innocence and accusing him of abusing, oppressing the poor, women, and children. I mean, he just goes right on down the line. Verses 12 through 20, Eliphaz declares Job's attitude towards God is like the wicked, thinking he will escape judgment. And then verses 21 through 30, Eliphaz pleads that he repent so that God can restore him. Tries to convince Job of his guilt. Chapter 23 and 24, Job responds to Eliphaz. First seven verses of chapter 23, Job's desire was to find God so he could hear him. This was Job's heart desire. Verses 8 through 17, Job seeks God but cannot find him. But he is confident that God knows his way and after testing him, listen, he will come forth as gold according to his will. Verse 8 through 17. Job gives us a nugget here. To an extent, he knows he's being tried, but his emotions run high or low, right? You've been there? <laughs> then you're human. Then you can identify with Job. Verse 1 through 12 of chapter 24, Job declares, Though evil goes on, God doesn't always intervene immediately, mentioning various evils, yet he values God's word more than what? His daily food. 26, 1 through 4, Job expresses in irony the worthless help of these three friends. 5 through 14 of 26, Job declares God's awesome power. 27, verse 7 through 12, Job reveals the vanity of the wicked and his friends' nonsense. Verses 13 through 23 of chapter 27, Job says the life and the destiny of the wicked is grievous. Chapter 28, the first 11 verses, Job declares how men labor with all their energies to seek gold, precious metal, stones in the earth. A beautiful description of mining and just, you know, uh, trying to grab all those gems. And then he, he compares them in verses 12 through 28 
to the wisdom of God that cannot be found on this earth and is more valuable than any of the value of gold, silver, or precious stone, but it can be found only in the fear of God to depart from evil, verses 12 through 28. What he's saying is if we would work as hard to reach the wisdom of God, we would truly be rich. He's saying, you three, you guys are paupers when it comes to spiritual truth and value. When he comes to chapter 31, Job enumerates sins that he is innocent of, that he's been accused. Listen to him. One through four, lust. He says, I've not laid my hands on my eyes on any other woman, and if I have, let, let someone else grind on my wife. Whoa. Pretty heavy statement. Deceitfulness, 5 through 8. Adultery, 9 through 12. Oppression, 13 through 15. Mercilessness, 16 through 23. Covetousness, 24 through 25. Idolatry, 26 through 28. Vengeance, 29 through 30. Hospitality, 31 through 32. Hypocrisy, 33 to 34. His cry to God is given in verses 35 through 37. Exploitation, verse 38 through 40. Job's words have ended. He says, I'm innocent of all this. We come to the third, the monologue. Chapter 32 through 37. First, Ilya replies to Job that God is his enemy, not answering his cry. This is Ilya's first and only discourse. He is a wordy young man full of himself. Enraged over Job's justifying himself and that his three friends have found no answer for Job. So he's mad at everybody. His name means, my God is he. Verses 4 through 5 of 32, Elio kept silent due to the age of the first three, he says. But now, he could but only speak. He can't keep silent any longer. So when you come to 32, 6, he's going to speak all the way to 33, 33. In verse 6 through 9 of 32, Elio apologizes for his youth, declaring that he will talk to enhance their wisdom that they did not reveal. So he slaps everybody on the face, straight across. Verse 10 through 21 of 32, Eliu begs their attention for he is ready to burst out like a new wineskin to relieve himself of the frustration and he will do it without partiality lest God take him away, of course. 33, 1 through 7, Eliu appoints himself as God's spokesman. That's great. I love that. <laughs> I am God's spokesman. In chapter 34, verse 1 through 37, Eliu's second discourse defends God's righteous judgment. I'm just going to run through them here. Ilyu commands all four to hear him mocking them as wise men, exalting himself as the teacher, accusing Job of being wicked as others. 10 through 30, Ilyu vindicates God of ever having anything to do with evil or injustice. 31 through 37, Ilyu declares that Job is being rebellious against God and should be tested to the utmost. Chapter 35 now. Ilyu's third discourse, the first three verses, Ilyu severely scolds Job once again for his righteous position. Four through eight, Ilyu says, man adds or takes nothing away from God in his deeds. Nine through 16, Ilyu says, God does not listen to sinners, and Job opens his mouth in vain, multiplying words without knowledge. Then when you come to chapter 36, Ilyu tells the disciplinary values of suffering, the greatness of God, and his inability to be unjust. And so he runs down verse 1 through 4 of 36. 
Ilya was so puffed up in his pride that he declares he has more words from God for one who is perfect in knowledge was with them. <laughs> 5 through 12, Ilya tells them that God is just and disciplines his children to turn them so they don't perish. 13 through 23, Ilya warns Job of hypocrisy for God will judge him. When he comes down to verse 14 of chapter 37 to 24, Ilya tells Job to listen to him and to consider the wonders of God, to answer his questions, to teach them all what they should say. God is perfect for his reason. Man fears God and should fear him. The young windbag's done speaking. We come to the dialogue, chapter 38 to 42. All of Job's three friends have spoken their wisdom. Ilu has spoken in God's stead, and now God speaks to Job out of the storm. Job's counsel, his plans, his schemes, his purpose were darkening truth, implying that he was not altogether right. In verse 2 of 38, Job's words were without knowledge, meaning their information was not accurate. When he comes to verse 4 of 38, down to 38, God and creation is put together is in control of the universe. It is God who's there. He asks him a lot of different questions, and these questions still cannot be answered today. Where was he when God laid the foundation of the earth? And the sons of God shouted for joy. Joe can't say nothing. 8 through 11, the limits of the boundary of the sea. Who put them there? 12 through 15, the daybreak. Who commands it every day to come up? 16 through 18, the springs and the seas and the depth. They're vast. Who knows them? Talking about the Coriolis effect, the forces of underwater currents. The ships travel by those in the Pacific Ocean. They're named after Coriolis who founded them, and that's how ships get across. And the easiest route. Light and darkness, verses 19 through 21. Where do they come from? They're reserved for war. Are you aware of that? The treasures of the snow, verse 22 through 23. Nitrogen deposits are released to fertilize the soil. The drainage, verse 25 through 30, for the rain, dew, frost, snow. Who put it all together? Who did the irrigation in this land? <laughs> Verses 31 through 33, the planets. Could Job direct them, guide them? The Pleiades, a cluster of seven stars, arise in the spring, verse 31. Orion, a constellation that comes up in the equator in, in, uh, in January, the winter month. Maseroth, another constellation, a zodiac. The great bear. Arcturus, a runaway star which travels 15,000 miles per second. How'd you like to guide that baby? He says, can you handle that, Job? The authority over nature, could, could he command it? From verse 34 to 38, he asked him if he could sustain the animals from verse 39 all the way to chapter 39, verse 30. I'm not going to run through them. He tells about the prey, the goats, the monkey, the ox, the ostrich. Who puts them all that? Who feeds them? Who takes care of it? When it comes to chapter 40, verse 1 through 5, God asked Job if he wanted to correct God in anything at this point. <laughs> Job answers, verse 3 through 5, I am vile sinner. That's good. Second, man has no defense by words, but lays his hand in his mouth, puts his hand in his mouth. He acknowledges his error, and he speaks no more, and he repents and declares this soul. See, that's good. Job is teachable. Verse 6 of chapter 40, all the way down to chapter 42, verse 6, Jehovah's second discourse. Verse 6 through 14 of 40, God reproves Job for justifying himself before God and asks him 
If he is like God, if he is then, God would confess that God's right hand could save him, but he can't. Will you nullify my judgment? Verse 8 says. Are you God? Verse 9 says. He challenges to prove that he is God. Verses 10 through 14. Then 15, all the way down to chapter 41, verse 31, God chooses two examples to show man's omnipotence. Behemoth, believed to be the hippopotamus. Maybe, maybe not. Leviathan, believed to be the crocodile. Chapter 41, 1 through 34. Chapter 42, verse 1 through 6, Job answers God. Job acknowledges God as all-powerful, sovereign, and omniscient in verse 2 of 42. Job acknowledges and confesses as heir as God declares in verse 3. Acknowledgement, confession. Job, having seen God, sees his own vileness, despising himself, and repents in verse 5 through 6 of 42. That's the end. That's where God wants to bring us, to agree with him, acknowledge, repent, and come to his feet. Let's finish with the epilogue. From verse 2 of 42 to 17, God's third discourse. 7 through 9, God rebukes Job's friends. Verse 7, God rebukes the three friends for not speaking what was right like Job. They were judging the, by appearance and traditions without love. They did not know God was allowing the test at the hand of Satan. They had exalted themselves above Job without pity and without compassion. Verse 8 through 9, God abases them by having them to go to Job, that he be the intercessor. I like that. <laughs> Job is called by God, my servant. Verse 8 and 9, Job is to offer burnt offering, dedication, consecration to God. Job would pray for them, and they would be accepted by God unless he would deal with them according to their folly, their wrong speaking about God. Job's friends all four obeyed and saw God's vindication and exaltation of Job. They were humbled by God. Now notice when you get to verse 10 through 17, God restores Job. Don't miss this. The Lord gave twice as much to Job as he had lost as he prayed for his friends. Verse 10. Verse 11, the members of his family, friends, and acquaintances all consoled and comforted Job. They gave each a piece of silver and a ring of gold. The wealth of Job doubled, verse 12. The children he lost were replaced by God, and his daughters were the most beautiful of all the women and gave them all an inheritance. Verse 16, Job lived 140 years after this, seeing the four generations. That's a lot of people, a lot of time. The book began with sacrifice and worship and ends likewise. Job is restored completely. The book teaches us the sufferings are a part of this fallen world. The book teaches us that sufferings at times are allowed by God. Sometimes we may know it after the fact as Job. At other times we may never know it at all. The book teaches us that God is sovereign and the wisest in what he allows. And we can trust him and commend ourselves to him as a faithful creator, 1 Peter 4.19. One put it this way, man's wisdom is not enough. It is limited, partial wisdom. T.S. Eliot put it in a beautifully way when he said this, all our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. I think Paul gives us a fitting close as he cries out about the wisdom of God, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be prayed to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans 11, 33-36. Incredible book. Read it. Meditate upon it. 
ask God to speak to you, even as you suffer at the hand of God. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up a special character study of Job and illustrating how Satan's challenge became God's opportunity to display his sovereignty. Now, today's Simple Truths character study is titled Job Part 2 and is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and then pass on to someone else you know. Now, the title to ask for once more is Job Part 2, or just mention today's date when you get in touch, and you can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107, or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485, or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com. 